0: from Matthew 11. At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be be to God. You can take your seats. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Father, we come into this room this morning from so many different backgrounds and places of belief. Some of us are convinced of the things that we've been singing and praying Others of us are totally unconvinced. Some of us are here sitting in a church for the very first time and can't really believe that we're in this room. Others of us, we come having once believed and we're trying to figure out if we could actually ever believe these things again. Some of us come and you feel so present and near in our lives. And some of us come and it feels like you are a million miles away. Father, we... We come from so many different places and yet we, we come from the same place, which is we are broken, messy people. None of us has it all together. And we're in need of a God who is kind and gracious and who longs to speak into our lives. And we give you thanks that that is exactly the kind of God that you are. And so we pray that you would give us ears to hear this morning all that you have to say to us from this passage, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Brent. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, before we we jump into the passage this morning, I want to just take just a moment to acknowledge that today, this Sunday, is actually our four-year anniversary as a church. You can clap for that. Uh, we, we, uh, we're not, we're not celebrating today because there's a marathon happening and we know it's gonna be hard for people to get here and there's some spring breaks going on, but we're gonna have a huge party after the service in a couple weeks. But I just didn't want today to go by without just acknowledging this. Um, God has done so much in the last four years, um, we had our very first worship service in March of 2018, this week, four years ago. Some of you were here for that, wasn't in this room. Uh, we were meeting at the Impact Hub, which is a little less than a mile away. And, uh, you know, you just have to know the story of this place. I mean, in the summer of 2017, we, we didn't have a name. We didn't have people. This church was five people, and they actually all had my last name, which was... <laughs> Not a fun church for anybody to be a part of, as much as we love one another. Uh, in the fall of 2017, City, uh, uh, Resurrection Oakland was, City Church is the church I used to work at years ago. Resurrection Oakland was about 30 people meeting in somebody's living room every week to pray about and to dream about starting a new church in Oakland, a church that we like to call a church not just for ourselves. A church where every Sunday is a good Sunday to invite a skeptical friend. And a church that was gonna seek to love and serve Oakland as God loves the city. And I will tell you that God has done a wondrous thing over the last four years. There are so many stories to celebrate. Stories of people who are exploring the claims of Christianity for the very first time. Stories of people who are re-engaging with faith after decades Away. Stories of people who are coming to experience the love of God in Christ for the very first time. Stories of people giving away their time and their money and their energy for the good of others in this city. God has done so much. I could not be more excited about the days ahead for Resurrection Oakland. I just wanted to acknowledge that this morning. Again, the party is coming in a couple weeks. All right. So, We are in the middle of a sermon series called Following Jesus, and uh, we're a couple weeks out from Easter, actually, and Easter is going to be awesome. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll invite a friend, but here's the deal. To get to Easter, first you have to go through the cross. Jesus says it this way. He says, if you want to follow me, you must pick up your cross. And this is why following Jesus often feels like death. This is what we've been saying in this series. It often feels like death, that there is a level of self-denial. There is, it entails sacrificial obedience. That following Jesus often feels like death, but it always leads to life. It always leads to Easter. It always leads to resurrection. And so we've been looking at some of the ways that following Jesus often feels hard. We've talked about following him in our suffering and following him in our shame. Next week, we're gonna talk about following Jesus in forgiveness, which is maybe the hardest. We're gonna talk about following Jesus in rejection. But this week, we're talking about following Jesus in humility. Now, I... The passage that we're looking at this morning, this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. And it's probably true for some of you. These are some of the most well-known words in all the Gospels. There's some of those beautiful words. I mean, particularly verse 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. It's this beautiful invitation. But I noticed something this week in studying this that I've never seen before. Because Jesus says this in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So he says, I don't just want you to learn about me. I want you to learn from me. Well, what does Jesus want us to learn from him? Look at the rest of the verse. For I am gentle and humble in heart. This passage is not just a beautiful invitation to weary, broken, tired people. But it is a radical exhortation to follow the way of Jesus, the way of humility, to take it up into your life. Now, it's worth saying that humility is actually, it's actually made quite a comeback in today's world. Uh, You will read all sorts of books on, on leadership that will tell you, you know, the most successful companies in the world have some of the most humble leaders it's made a comeback but this was not the case in the ancient world humility was not prized in the ancient world humility was despised in fact historians have said that they have they've been able unable to find a single example in ancient literature where where humility was commended Uh, there's a, a university in Australia called Macquarie University this is a it's not a religious school it has no religious affiliation it's a secular school And they actually did a research project exploring how was it that humility went from this thing that was socially despised to this thing that is kind of now socially prized. And this is what they concluded. They said, the modern Western fondness for humility almost certainly derives from the peculiar impact of the Judeo-Christian worldview. This is not a religious conclusion. It is purely a historical finding. It's amazing. Humility was unheard of until a man named Jesus of Nazareth showed up in the first century and said, Come to me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Humility. Humility, humility is a hard thing to preach on, actually. What if I preach a good sermon? not feeling very confident about that today, but what, it's a hard thing to preach on. And you know, it's kind of a weird thing to preach on because anybody who thinks that they're qualified to talk about humility is automatically unqualified. And if you're not qualified, why are you talking about it? It's a weird thing to preach on. It's also a weird thing to pursue. C.S. Lewis talks about this in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is kind of this series of fictional letters written by this senior demon Screwtape to this junior demon named Wormwood. And Wormwood's, the human being that Wormwood is kind of in charge of tempting, his, his patient, as Lewis calls him, has been away from God for a very long time, and now he's finally come back to God. And this is what, this is what uh, Screwtape writes. He says, my dear Wormwood, the most alarming thing in your last account of the patient ...is that he is making none of those confident resolutions which marked his original conversion. No more lavish promises of perpetual virtue, I gather. Not even the expectation of an endowment of grace for life... ...but only a hope for the daily and hourly pittance to meet the daily and hourly temptation. This is very bad. I see only one thing to do at the moment. Your patient has become humble... Have you drawn his attention to the fact? All virtues are less formidable to to us once the man is aware that he has them, but this is especially true of humility. Catch him at the moment when he is really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind the gratifying reflection, by Jove, I'm being humble, and almost immediately pride. Pride at his own humility will appear. If he awakes to the danger and tries to smother this new form of pride, make him proud of his attempt and so on through as many stages as you please. Here's what Lewis is saying. He's saying humility is hard to pursue because the more you focus on humility, the more tempted you'll be to be proud about how humble you are. So here's the deal. We need serious help. And learning about humility. Hard to preach on, hard to pursue. We need serious help. And the good news this morning is that we have these words from the preeminent teacher, Jesus himself, on humility. What do we have to learn from him? We're going to look at three things this morning. Why we ought to pursue humility, what humility is, and then how the gospel has this unique power to create humble people so why we ought to pursue it what it is and how the gospel has a unique power to pursue it you know maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself you know a sermon on humility should should have not fought the marathon traffic this morning you know not really interested in that doesn't feel that pertinent to what is going on in my life right now well please do not miss what Jesus is offering to you in this passage look at verse 29 he says learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls are you tired are you weary do you long for rest Jesus says the path to it runs through humility. It runs through humility. How 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 rest from what? What is when Jesus says come and rest? What what rest from what? Well, first rest from your striving. Rest from your striving. I um I heard a story this week. True story, it was an interview with Kevin Bacon. And uh, some of you are too young to remember the movie, Footloose, which is really sad. (laughs) Which is really, really sad, because you're not gonna get what I'm about to say. But a lot of you remember this. And in this interview, Kevin Bacon, uh, the interviewer found out a really interesting fact about Kevin Bacon, which is every time Kevin Bacon goes to a wedding reception, He pays the DJ $200 to not play Footloose. I would be like, if I was Kevin Bacon, I would be like, first song on the menu here is Footloose. And the guy said, why do you do that? And Kevin Bacon said, he said, because it's not my day. It's not about me. It's not about me. You know, this is... It, humility, is, it can be so freeing to you. It can give you such rest in life because what it, says, it begins to teach you that life is not about you and you actually, you don't have to prove yourself anymore. You can rest from your striving. When Jesus invites you to come to him, he doesn't just invite you to lay down your sin, he invites you to lay down your doing. Humility is so freeing. It can bring such rest into your life. Rest from your striving, but also rest whatever your circumstances may be in life. So let's go back to the first verse. And I actually need a worship guide. Can I have one? Because I don't have this written down. Thank you so much. All right. So look at this first verse. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned, learned and revealed them to little children. Okay, what, what is Jesus doing? He's praying. He's talking to the Father, which is a whole other sermon on how prayer is actually one of the marks of humility. A a, a prayerless life reflects a proud heart. A prayerful life reflects a humble heart. A heart that's dependent on God. Now he's he's not just praying, but notice this. He's not just praying to God, but he is praising God. He is thanking God. This is a moment of gratitude for Jesus which is actually a whole other sermon on another mark of humility, that gratitude is a mark of humility. Pride says, I earned it, I worked for it, I deserved it. And humility says, everything I have in life is a gift. Even the things that I've been able to work for come to me because of the opportunities that God has afforded to me because of the family I was born into, the socioeconomic status that I had, the opportunities to education and access to all of these other things that have actually helped me get ahead in life. So he's he's praying to God. He's praising God. But I want you to notice this. When is he doing this? Now, this is very important because Matthew starts off verse 25 and he says... At that time. It's a very important phrase. Because what Matthew is doing is he's linking it to what's come before it. And we didn't print these verses for you. But what has come before it is that Jesus has just experienced massive rejection in his ministry. He is in the midst of very difficult circumstances. And yet what is he doing? He is praising and thanking God. How, let me ask you a question. How do you respond when your circumstances do not go like you want? How do you respond when life doesn't go like you want? Like you want? Do you get embittered towards God? Do you worry? See, worry is actually a form of pride It's, It's rooted in this sense of arrogance that I know better than God how my life ought to go. And this is why we lose our rest, our kind of spiritual equilibrium, when life goes sideways for us because we think God has actually gotten it wrong. Do you remember the movie Rudy? Lots of old illustrations this morning, but I'm dating myself, but... But I'm very confident as a middle-aged man in this, okay? I've embraced it. Do you remember the movie Rudy? So Rudy, my favorite scene in that movie is when Rudy, he's so frustrated that he, he hasn't made the team and he's not understanding why God is not operating according to plan. And he goes to this priest and he says, I don't understand why God isn't working the way that I want him to. And the priest says this to Rudy. He says, in 35 years of religious study, I have come up with only two hard incontrovertible facts. One, there is a God and two, I am not him. That, friends, that is a banner to put over your life. There is a God and I am not him. Do you know how much more internal rest you would have when life goes south? Do you know how much more free you would be in hard moments to say, God, I don't understand it, I don't like it, I don't get it, but you are wise, and you are strong, and you are in control, and you are for me. See, humility is not meant to be a burden that Jesus is laying on you. It is actually meant to be a gift that he is offering to you to give you rest. Rest from your striving and rest whatever your circumstances. But here's the question. What is humility? I mean, what actually is it? You know, because what we see in this passage is that Jesus gives us a very different picture of humility than we tend to have. When you think of a humble person, what do you think of? Most of us think of a humble person as a, as a passive person. Think about, think about the various pictures that you've seen of Jesus. Very passive, very very kind of meek, very mild. Uh, Tom Skinner was an African-American pastor in Harlem back in the 70s and, and 80s. He, he grew up in the roughest neighborhood in Harlem, one of the most violent blocks. And then he became a Christian, he met Jesus, and then he became a pastor. And he said that the reason he didn't become a Christian growing up was because of all of these pictures that he saw of Jesus in Sunday school. Pictures kind of like this one up here, of, you know, five-year-old Jesus surrounded by the cast of Charlotte's Web, right? (laughs) So gentle. Just grabbing that cow by the neck, you know. (laughs) You can tell how I feel about this stained glass. I didn't design it. It's been there about 100 years. Same thing with science and health. Didn't pick that one out either. (laughs) We're very pro-science and pro-health here, by the way. It's just not what we would probably would have put on a stained glass if we were designing it. Anyways, uh, (laughs) Tom Skinner said he saw pictures like this And he said he thought, I don't know who that guy is, but he would not survive 10 minutes in my neighborhood. We think humility equates to passivity. Or even worse, we think it equates to self-loathing, self-contempt, having the lowest possible view of yourself that you could ever have. But I want you to look at the way Jesus talks about Himself. Remember, he is the exemplar of humility. He's saying, come and learn what humility is by watching me. And so look at the way that he talks about himself in this passage. I mean, on the one hand, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'm humble, and I'll give you rest for your souls. I and mean, be so gentle and so tender and so meek. But in the same breath, look at what he says in verse 27. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Do you hear how highly Jesus sees himself? Can you imagine if someone walked into this room and stood up on this stage this morning and said, the creator of heaven and earth has given me all authority and power over this world. In fact, my my greatness is so unfathomable that no human being can actually really know the depths of my wisdom and strength and beauty, but only God can. Only he knows me and only I know him and the only way for you to know him is to know me. I came from God. I I have intimate knowledge of God. I am the only way to God. You know, if somebody stood up here on this stage and said that, you probably would think, wow, what a humble guy. See, this is not passivity. And this is not self-contempt. I mean, look at his confidence. Look at his self-assuredness. What kind of humility is this? It's a totally different kind. Philippians chapter 2, which is the classic text on humility, says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, consider others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another, had the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus acts like nothing but he knows that he's not it is so often the opposite for us we feel inferior and so we try to compensate for that by acting superior but jesus he always knew that he was the most important person in the room and yet he always acted like the least important person in the room he put his glory and his power under the interests of other people, and that is the essence of humility. Christian author John Dixon writes about it this way. He says, humility is the noble choice to forego your status, to deploy your resources, or to use your influences for the good of others before yourself. Humility always presupposes one's dignity. The one being humble acts from a height, so to speak. True humility assumes the dignity or strength of the one possessing the virtue. It's not self-loathing. It's not self-contempt, which is why it should not be confused with having low self-esteem. In fact, I would go so far as to say that it is impossible to be humble in the real sense without a healthy sense of your own worth and abilities. Dixon goes on, humility is always social. It's not a private act of self-deprecation banishing proud thoughts refusing to talk about your achievements and so on i would call this simple modesty but humility is about redirecting of your powers whether physical intellectual financial or structural for the sake of others see why do we say we want to be a church not just for ourselves? but for others. That is not just meant to be a catchy tagline for a church in the city. We say that because it is the essence of humility according to Jesus. We exist for others as a church body and also as individuals. And in a world that teaches us to say, other people exist for me, Christianity teaches us to say, no, I exist for them. Would you just consider for just a moment how this would transform your life? Are you you in a difficult season of marriage? Do you feel stuck? Are things hard? How much healing would begin to take place in your marriage If both you and your spouse took this posture towards one another. Not you exist for me, but I exist for you. You know, if you have kids, think about how this would transform your parenting. You know, or maybe you are experiencing massive conflict at work right now with somebody you work with or with a neighbor. Think about how radical it would be if you lived this out. You know, what if this was the basic operating principle for how we related to one another as a church, to our city, to the poor? And maybe you're thinking, well, that, that sounds inspiring, and it also sounds really hard. <laughs> what, if, what if I'm taken advantage of? What if it's not reciprocated? It is hard and you might get taken advantage of and it might not be reciprocated, but it is the way of humility that Jesus calls us to. And so the question is, is what could ever get us to live like this? To have this kind of humility that flows out of this kind of self-assuredness and confidence and that brings us to the last point, of how the gospel has the unique power to create humble people. You know, over the last 25 years, there's been a lot of research done on happiness. And one of the interesting things that has come out of a lot of these studies is that happiness has been linked to humility. There was a time, there was an article in the New York Magazine a couple years ago called Happiness 101. And what scientists, it talked about how scientists have found that if you you focus on doing and getting things that give you pleasure, it actually doesn't lead to happiness. It it produces what they called the hedonic treadmill. You become addicted to pleasure, and your need for the pleasure fix keeps growing, and you're never satisfied. The article says that studies have actually shown that the best way to increase your happiness... Is actually humility. It's to pour yourself out in service for others. And it concludes by saying this. It says that you should lead a selfless life and serve others because it will make you most happy. But there is a major problem with that. The problem is if you serve others because it will make you happy, You're not serving other people for their sake. You're serving them for your sake. Which is the opposite of humility. So you can live an incredibly humble life for incredibly selfish reasons. Humility can become something that you do to to bolster your sense of self and your sense of worth. Not something that you do because you have a sense of self of self and worth. And you see, the gospel actually offers us a humility that works the exact opposite. Here's how it works. Jesus says in this passage, he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Now, whenever Jesus talks about little children, it is always code word, For how you enter the kingdom of God, how you become a Christian. He says in Matthew chapter 18, he says, Unless you become like a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is not talking about becoming childish. He's talking about becoming childlike. And he says, if you want to know him, if you want to follow him, if you want to come to him, if you want to be in relationship with him, you have to become, you have to come like a child. Now, why would he say this? Well, there are two characteristics of children. And here's the first. They are totally dependent. If you don't believe me, go have one. And then you will believe me. Young children... Are terribly needy (laughs) or wonderfully needy I don't know how you want to frame it but they are deeply needy you know my kids they're getting a little older now but when they were little there was not a there was nothing that they did not ask help for eating getting dressed taking a bath walking up some stairs Daddy, help. Mommy, help. To come like a child means that you come with a deep sense of need. Friends, Jesus does not say in this passage, come all who are strong and self-sufficient. He says, come all who are weary and burdened. And that is why the only way To become a Christian, the only way to come to Jesus is actually through humility. You have to come saying, God, help. I cannot save myself. I am totally dependent on you. I need salvation by grace alone. And this is why the gospel always humbles you. Because you can't take any credit for being a Christian. You actually have to swallow your pride in order to come. You come dependent, but, but children, they're not just totally dependent. They also know that they are totally loved. You know, in a healthy family, kids know that no matter what they have done, they can still come. My kids, they could have had the worst day. Double-digit timeouts, you know. All sorts of like things we're having to deal with and work through that day. But you know what happens when they wake up at 3 a.m. that night? They come and they get in our bed. You are not welcome in my bed, okay? My children, they know that they are always welcome in our bed. No matter, no matter how poorly the day is gone, there's no fear there's no questioning. Am I still loved? Am I still welcome? They are so assured. They are so confident. And you see, a Christian is someone who doesn't hope that God loves them. A Christian is someone who is confident that God loves them. They know that God loves them, not because of what they have done. But because of everything that Jesus has done. And that's why you can rest. Because you don't have to prove yourself to God or anyone else anymore. You are safe. You are welcomed. You are loved. See, if you are, if you are feeling, are you tired? do you ever feel like you are constantly auditioning for people? I'm a huge people pleaser. Like this, is, this is one of the things I struggle with more than anything else. Do you ever feel like you're constantly auditioning for the love and approval of other people? You know what the gospel says? God is the one person you don't have to audition for. His love comes to you freely. Freely. You see, this is why the gospel is so unique. It is unique because it gives you both radical humility and radical confidence at the same time. You know, most of us, we're one or the other. We're either humble with no confidence or confident with no humility. But the gospel makes you both. And that's why it frees you to serve others, not for your own sake, but for theirs. We do not love other people. We do not serve other people to get right with God or to feel better about ourselves. We do it out of the overflow of a heart that is filled with love. Jesus says, humility is not something you do to bolster your sense of self worth. And confidence, but it is something that you do because you have it so the, a Christian is someone who, who doesn't need to help people a Christian is someone who wants to help people we want to serve them and to pour ourselves out for them because Christ has served us and poured ourselves out himself out for us and that's really important because you might get to the end of this sermon thinking i don't really feel the impulse to do the things that you're talking about this morning. I don't feel this impulse to grow in humility. To say to other people, my life for yours. To serve people, to take the low place. To learn what it means to be generous with my money and my time. And So what do you do? Where do you turn? If that's where you are this morning, will you turn to this table actually? You turn not to trying harder, but you turn to this table where Christ comes and he serves us. Philippians 2 says it this way, consider Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of his servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus says, come and learn humility from me. And the starting point of learning humility from him is right here at this table, friends, where Jesus invites us to come like little children He invites us to come with a deep sense of our need. He does not invite people to come who think that they have it all together. He invites people who are weary and who are burdened and who are broken and who are tired and who feel like they can't seem to get it right sometimes. All you need to come to this table is need. And he invites us to come to know that we are loved which is what fuels humility in all of us. It sends us out to love and serve because of a God who has loved and served us. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread And after he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the invitation of this table. Thank you for the Savior who invites us to come in all of our need and in all of our brokenness and even in all of our pride. Lord, would you meet us here this morning? Would you fill us as we eat and drink together with a deep assurance that because of Christ and all that he has done for us, we are indeed welcomed and loved and embraced by you. Help us to believe that this morning, we pray in Christ's name, amen.